Seventh Horcrux by Emerald Ashes Read by Sam Gabriel Based on the works of J.K. Rowling Chapter 9 Harry Potter versus Himself The delivery owl drifted into Hermione's kitchen, buoyed by a summer breeze. While she offered it a canut and a bit of toast, I snagged the prophet. It's rather rude, you know, she huffed as the owl flew away. I glanced up from the newspaper, frowning. You're the one who asked me to come outside for meals, Hermione pouted. You stole my paper. You also asked me to keep up with the news, I said. With a groan and a muttered, too early for this, Hermione turned her attention to her breakfast. I hummed thoughtfully as I skimmed the front page. Looks like Dumbledore died. Hermione gasped, dropping her toast, and I continued. Some sort of wasting sickness. Probably dragonpox. I told him to get that arm checked out. Is there a funeral? she asked, all sniffles and crocodile tears. It doesn't say. I spotted several familiar names in the article below it. Death Eaters have taken over the ministry, too. Hermione's eyes widened, all attempts at grief forgotten. What? It doesn't explicitly say that, but it's pretty heavily implied, I assured her. Also, Snape's the new headmaster. Hermione pushed her plate away. Oh, Harry, this is awful. I know, Slytherin will win the house cup for sure, I said. Not that, she snapped. Voldemort has control over Hogwarts. He hates Muggleborns. Allegedly. And he despises you. And I'm your Muggleborn best friend. There's absolutely no way we can return to Hogwarts. How are we supposed to prepare for our newts? I blinked. Really? That's your problem with this? I assumed you were talking about the murder. She buried her face in her hands and seemed to be having some difficulty breathing. It'll be fine, I reassured her. I just turned seventeen. We grab Ron, go on the run, and finish the task Dumbledore set for us. Hermione peeked upwards, eyes alight with curiosity. Task? There are five items necessary to defeat Voldemort, I said. We have to gather them all and use them in a dark ritual. It was time to collect my horcruxes. Once Voldemort fell, who knew what would happen to them? I continued. They include the gaunt ring, Voldemort's pet snake, Ravenclaw's diadem, Hufflepuff's cup. Those are lost artifacts, Harry, Hermione said. People have been searching for them for generations. I snorted. Voldemort found them. How hard can it be? We don't even have to find the last one. He's currently wearing Slytherin's locket. So we'll need to get it off his neck, then? Hermione asked. Not a problem, I said cheerfully. If he has it, then it'll be there when we need it. He's actually helping us by keeping it close because he is arrogant and insane. She rolled her eyes but smiled. That makes one thing easier for us, I suppose. We'll need some place to stay. Way ahead of you, I assured her. Not the trunk, she said. No, not that. It's better than the trunk. I'll tell you about it once we've grabbed Ron. I brought my trunk out from the guest bedroom. I held a hand out to Hermione, but she refused it with a tight smile. You go ahead. I need to pack and have a talk with my parents. With a quick wave, I apparated to the Weasley's hovel. Arriving at the burrow, Hermione carefully stepped around my trunk, which was spewing a pearly mist. Soon I would need to add fairy wings to my cauldron of Felix Felicis. Hi, guys, Hermione said nodding to Ron, Ginevra, and me before turning to the man beside us. "'Nice to see you again, Professor,' Lupin smiled at her. "'I'm not a professor any more. Please call me Remus.' 
Something deep inside Hermione exploded at the thought of addressing a former authority figure as an equal, and she devolved into stuttered protests. Ron interjected. Lupin's working with the werewolves now. Lupin sighed. They're not working with me, though. Not after all the werewolf rights legislation that just got pushed through. I snorted. It's about time, really. They were first suggested decades ago. Lupin said, I'm surprised you all know so much about this. Long-standing interest, I said. My ex-girlfriend was really into it. I think Ron was blushing, although it was hard to tell with the potion's fumes obscuring his face. With an arrogant tilt to her chin, Hermione declared, Everyone should care about oppression. I don't actually care that much. I just like spending time with Harry, Ginevra clarified. That's horrible, I said. Your brother is a werewolf. I'm not, Ron wailed. Lupin slinked away during the ensuing argument. The whole incident was terribly upsetting. I was almost certain that Ron had come to terms with his lycanthropy, and giving up by turns to Hermione. You aren't going to believe this. Dumbledore got his presents. I was right. Hermione didn't believe me at all. Harry, she said delicately, Dumbledore is dead. I beamed. I know. I think I like him better this way. He never did this when he was alive. Hermione paled. Um, he left his stuff, Ron said, like inheritance. Us? Hermione said. The three of us. Not Ginevra, I said. Hardly surprising he's never liked her. Ginevra pouted. Really? I don't think we've ever met. That explains it, then, I said. Hermione frowned. I've barely spoken to him myself. Have you, Ron? Ron shook his head. Her brow wrinkled. What did he give us? You got a book, I handed it to her, because everyone knows you like reading. Ron got Dumbledore's wand, and I got a signet ring. Ron swished the Elderwood wand, causing weak black sparks to fall out, and I flashed the gaunt ring at her. Ron said, The stuff came with a note, but Harry wouldn't let me read it. The note had said something along the lines of, Harry, do not wear this ring. It is a horcrux and will kill you. I am speaking from personal experience. Do not put on the ring. Good luck. Albus Percival Wolflick Bray and Dumbledore. He said that the ring is one of our special items and wished us luck. Why'd you burn the note, then? Ron asked. It's sensitive information, Ron, I shouted. If we keep it around, then anyone could find out this ring's importance. Ron blushed with shame. On second thought, that might have been the slowly reddening mist. I made a note to check on the potion soon. You shouldn't take him on your trip, Ginevra said. I'll be a better Ron. Ginevra, we've been over this. We need your spy network. Also, I don't like her that much. But I raised my hand, though I'm not sure if she saw it in the thickening mist. Enough. Only Hermione and Ron shall accompany me to Potter Manor, Hermione said. Potter Manor? My ancestral home, hidden for all these years, I said. You've never seen it, have you? Hermione said. I paused. Well, no. Are you sure you have a manor? Don't all pureblood families have manners? No, Harry, Hermione said. That fad occurred during the twelfth century when wizarding families were concerned about possibly going under siege. That's why they have such extensive warding and their larger grounds could be put to use for agricultural purposes. The Potter family isn't nearly old enough for that. Ron asked, What about my manor? Lost to gambling debts. The Malfoys own it now, Hermione said. My jaw fell open and red mist drifted inside. It tasted vaguely of cinnamon. Is that why you hate each other so much? Ron said. I guess. Mostly it's because they're gits. We were silent for a few moments, contemplating the ephemeral nature of history. At least that's what I was doing. I'm fairly certain Hermione was too. I don't know about the Weasleys. Hermione interrupted our musings. Harry, if there isn't a Potter Manor, then where are we going to stay? The trunk, of course, I said. 
my cauldron of Felix Felicius promptly exploded, knocking the trunk over and sending a rush of black smoke toward us. Ginevra giggled. I feel loads better about staying behind. I woke up, muttering, I always hated that name. Ron and Hermione were still asleep. The girl hugged her wand like a teddy bear while the Weasley curled into a ball, as if to take up as little space as possible. The ceiling slid open to reveal starlight, and, dragging my cloak behind me, I trudged upwards. I waved it closed again as I settled invisibly onto the grass and said, Voldemort, pop, pop. Two Death Eaters arrived, waving their wands around wildly in search of rebels. The taller one frowned. There's no one here. There's gotta be, the second grunted. Maybe the taboo machine's acting up. The shorter one jerked his head towards my home. Or maybe they're in that trunk there. It seems pretty small, he mused. The other said, Maybe it's one of those magically expanded trunks. I wouldn't go in there if it was, he cried. My cousin had one of those. The thing broke and we had to bury him in it. The second snorted. Oh no, I was at the funeral too. Maybe this is a test, the taller said slowly, from the Dark Lord. Maybe he's trying to trick us. Probably, the shorter said. But we ought to take the trunk, though. I wouldn't be so sure. It could be booby-trapped. We can't just head back, he snapped. I mean, somebody around here said Voldemort. Pop, pop. The two earlier Death Eaters raised their hands while their compatriots scanned the clearing for enemies. Whoa, wow, don't shoot. This moron here said Voldemort. They all groaned. Pop, pop. One of the men from the second group raised a hand for silence. Okay, clearly somebody said vo- The word that nobody's allowed to say. They all breathed a sigh of relief. He continued, It's all agree to leave and come back to this spot for a few minutes, all right? The death eaters nodded, popping away. I wandered back into the trunk, rousing Ron and Tamani. Fair warning, we aren't allowed to say Voldemort anymore, so if you really want to say Voldemort, I suggest you say Voldemort now, because in about five minutes we have to stop saying Voldemort. It was a plain barn owl, brown and plump. A ribbon on its ankle identified it as a rented bird from Diagon Alley. It dropped the letter at my feet, not waiting for a response, and didn't even twitch as it passed through Grimold Place's wards. Wingardium Leviosa, I said, the letter flicking upwards and unfolding in front of me. It read, Dear Lord Voldemort, you may wonder why I, Harry Potter, have written you this letter. There are a few reasons for this. First, I would like to inform you that my associate has brewed a cauldron of Polyjuice Potion, while I have kidnapped several of your Death Eaters. Further, we just followed this owl to your base. By the time you've finished this letter, it will be too late. Love, Harry Potter. I leapt out of bed, humming merrily to myself. Hermione, for some inexplicable reason, immediately began panicking. She nearly tripped over a lamp, better known as Trelawney's Prophecy Orb, on her way towards me. Honey, I thought she'd finally relaxed about sleeping in the trunk. Harry, why are you so happy? she asked. You know who's killing his own people, I exclaimed. Ron groaned, dragging himself into a sitting position. What do you do, mate? I sent him a letter. He thinks we're breaking into his base. He'll probably calm down in a few days, but then I'll send him another letter, I said. Come to think of it, we should probably break into Gringotts while he's distracted. Ron let out a strangled squeak, and Hermione weakly asked, Sorry? That's where Benetrix put Hufflepuff's cup, I said. Okay, this is... Hermione ran a hand through her hair, her face gaunt under the orb's bluish light. Okay, we can do this. Let me get the Felix Felicius. She was clearly delusional with fear. I frowned. Hermione, there isn't any Felix Felicius. You made me stop brewing it for some inane reason. 
Not that, Felix Felicis, Hermione said. I'm talking about the vial I got from Slunkhorn for brewing the best Amortentia. Ron said, You still got that? She snorted, rummaging through her purse. Of course. It's not like I just used it the day I got it. That would be highly irresponsible. To be fair, that was how I found the Chamber of Secrets in four hours, by skipping five hints. My original sixth year was quite the adventure, though it could never compare to third. There it is, she cried, pulling out a golden vial. It shimmered in the light of the prophecy orb. Hermione, are you still mad? I whined, following my best minion through the busy London streets. After several tense moments, Ron answered for her, I'm pretty sure she is. I tossed the cup of Hufflepuff between my hands, enjoying the familiar warmth of its golden sides. Come on, we got the cup and everything went great. I know they're called the Unforgivables, but you can still forgive me, preferably in the next thirty seconds or so. Get in the trunk, she snarled. I blinked, suddenly noticing the trunk propped against a lamppost. Right, Hermione had cast a notice-me-not charm on it. I followed her inside. I mean, really, would Moody have taught us the incantations if he didn't expect us to use— She whirled around at the bottom of the staircase, wand aimed at my head. You cast the Cruciatus curse! On a Death Eater, I said. Her chin trembled. Typical Hermione, only accepting violent retribution when she does it. It was cruel and horrible and unnecessary— I contest that, I said. You were taking Felix Felicis. If it wasn't necessary to our success, the potion wouldn't have let it happen. I refuse to believe that torture was necessary. There are any number of options, she said. Come to think of it, isn't that potion supposed to give you your perfect day? My eyes widened. Hermione, you don't actually like that sort of thing. In fact, you're probably still under its effects. You want this argument. No, she doesn't, Ron said. Hermione smiled. Thank you, Ron. It's nice to see you have some faith in me. That was probably the Felix Felicius working. He turned red. And I've fallen for a lot of stupid arguments and things, but are they going to hear pretty well, Miney? She flushed and glanced away, probably contemplating how her entire life was a ruse constructed by the Department of Mysteries. They were silent for some time, not even looking in my direction. It irked me. I know you're angry, but you don't have to ignore me, I said, the cup's handle clenched in my fist. Yes, we're angry, Hermione said, pulling Ron into her mutiny. I shook my head, frustrated by her disloyalty and hypocrisy. I don't know why this is suddenly a problem. Nobody cared when Crumb cast the Cruciatus. She gaped, surprised by my brilliant arguing tactics. He was under the Imperius, I snorted. Oh, sure he was. Everyone's under the Imperius. Tell me, Hermione, who are all of these people casting the Imperius? Maybe we need to accept that the people we're looking for are the ones crucioing people. So, you then? Ron said. I shook my head as setting Hufflepuff's cup on the coffee table. No, of course not. I can't be held accountable for my actions. After all, I was under the Imperius. Another letter sat upon my desk. I glared at the parchment hard enough to burn a hole through it, then frantically covered it with my cloak to smother the resulting flames. A reparo returned it to a legible state, and, slumping into my throne, I read, Dear Lord Voldemort, I see that you have once again failed to catch myself and my companions, despite killing several of your Death Eaters. I've noticed that this happens a lot with you, and I'm compelled to ask if you just really like killing your own people. Regardless, my sense of fair play urges me to once again inform you of our visit tomorrow. Love, Harry Potter. P.S. I would like to ensure you that I shall not be masquerading as Lucius Malfoy. You've killed him, Hermione whispered, eyes wide. 
I know he's a bigot and probably a murderer, but I can't believe you just consigned a man to death. That does seem pretty nasty, mate, Ron agreed. I had no idea what she was talking about. Hermione, I have no idea what you're talking about. Lucius Malfoy, she cried. You just set him up to be killed. No, I didn't. I specifically said that I wouldn't be him. He's probably the only one who's safe. Hermione huffed, placing her hands on her hips. Harry, you singled him out in a clearly sarcastic manner. You're overthinking things, I said. Uh, that's what I think, too, Ron said. And won't you know who overthink it? That's possible, but then he'll probably just decide that I want him to kill Lucius Malfoy for some reason and refuse to touch him. But what if he kills him just to be safe? I rolled my eyes. Fine, I'll ask him. Ron gaped. You're what? I raised a hand to silence the Weasley as I yanked Voldemort's consciousness into my head. A yes or no question, are you planning to kill Lucius Malfoy? After a few moments listening, I said, I'm well aware that I told you I wouldn't be him. No, I don't retract that statement. I turned to my minions. He said he wasn't going to kill Lucius. Clearly I was correct, and why, yes, that is the cup of Helga Hufflepuff. I'm not sure why you're surprised about this. Bellatrix has always been one of ours. On that note, have you seen your diary anywhere recently? No reason, just curious. Voldemort slammed my head against the wall, then fled back to his body. Hermione was the first to find her voice. Were you actually just talking to he who must not be named? I wasn't talking to myself. I paused for a moment, realizing that I was lying. Regardless, he's gone now, and he's really upset about something. How could I not remember where I'd left my soul? I struggled to calm myself, pacing Grimmauld Place's dining room. The table had been transfigured into a throne, and the room cleared for an emergency meeting of my inner circle. Surely one of them had my boyhood diary. My eyes swept over the group, smaller now than it had ever been. It was for the better, I knew, cleared of traitors and spies. I turned to the most loyal of them all, Severus Snape. Severus, did I ever give you a dark artifact to watch over for me? Severus shook his head. No, my lord, I'm afraid I was living in the same castle as Dumbledore. The risk was too great. Of course, I said. Thank you for poisoning him, by the way. It was my pleasure, he drawled. I presume you were in this similar situation, Hagrid? Hagrid nodded, silent as always. Some might have found this suspicious, but I knew how invested he was in our success. After all, Giant's rights was a founding principle of the Death Eaters. Sirius, did I ever give you a small black book? I inquired. Sirius laughed. Nah, you gave me a necklace. My hands unconsciously drifted to the locket around my neck. Yes, I suppose I did. What about you, Lucius? Lucius said, No, my lord, you've given me nothing at all. May, may I please go? I frowned. Why? I need to brush my hair, he said. Didn't you just do that? He shook his head, terribly mussing his blonde locks. Yes, but I need to do it again. With a chuckle, I said, You may go in a moment. Your son was trying to open the room of requirement, wasn't he? Yes, my lord, although he gave up on it some time ago. Tell him to complete whatever trials are necessary, I said. He nodded, increasingly pale as I delayed his time with a hair rush. Of course, my lord. Also, alert your sources in Hogwarts that we're moving in. This location is no longer secure, and Trelawney has informed me that the castle will be a fortunate place for us. Having house guests, I found, could be rather tiring. 
Gone were the days of lounging in my trunk, brewing a few cauldrons of Felix Felicius, and plotting against Dumbledore. Whenever the silence stretched for a while, and I began to drift off to sleep under my invisibility cloak, someone invariably interrupted the piece. Usually Ron. The redhead groaned. "'Are you still reading that book?' I dragged my invisibility cloak off of my head in order to glare at him, and Hermione glanced up from the tales of Beetle the Bard, lips pursed. "'It's very informative. It's for kids!' he shouted. She rolled her eyes. "'Informative about cultural standards, Ronald. The morality tales told to children reveal a great deal about a society's values.' Ron blinked. "'What?' "'Morality tales, Ronald,' she said. "'They teach wizarding children what wizards think are important lessons.' "'For instance,' I said, "'the moral of the Fountain of Fair Fortune is that the magic was within you all along, the moral of the Warlock's hairy heart is that you shouldn't care what anyone else thinks of you, and the moral of the Tale of the Three Brothers is that you should be invisible at all times.' Hermione frowned at me as she often does. "'That isn't the moral at all. It's that you can't cheat death.' "'Really, Hermione, did you even read the tale?' It clearly states that the youngest brother spends his entire life under an invisibility cloak, only taking it off when he wanted to die. I'm not sure why he would have wanted that, though, I mused, pulling my cloak tightly around my shoulders. Ron laughed. Probably because he spent his whole life under an invisibility cloak. Hermione's face reddened. He did not. Do you think he had kids under there? Ron said. That is disgusting. He probably kept his entire family under the cloak to prevent vengeance from death, I said. It was what I would do. Ron said, I'll bet they're still there. It was a metaphor! Hermione shouted. Her voice echoed throughout the trunk, and Ron paled, like we reminded of his mother's howlers. Did the story say it was a metaphor? I asked. Of course not, she snapped. Then how do you know? I said. Starting to sound like a Slytherin, mate, Ron said. I brushed him off. Actually, I'm sounding more like Dumbledore. Yes, Hermione said stiffly, and he's the one who left me the book. I think it might be some sort of clue. I snorted, falling back into bed with a thump. He's obviously manipulating us. He's set us up on an adventure, and we won't understand half of it until he explains afterwards. He can't, though, Ron said. He's dead. I rolled onto my side, mumbling, He's got a portrait. It didn't take long to settle into my new office. I was perfectly content to keep Dumbledore's knick-knacks and expensive pensive. I wouldn't have minded the phoenix, either, but it had disappeared some time before my arrival. I took a lemon drop from Dumbledore's tin, rolling it between my fingers. After many years, I finally had the chance to test it for poison. Severus Snape swept into my office. It appears that the students are rebelling. Why? I asked. Because we are Death Eaters. I'm not an idiot, I snapped. But I will admit to continued confusion. I haven't done anything worth rebelling against. Dumbledore filled the Gryffindors' heads with ridiculous notions, Severus said. Right, he always did favour them. I never understood where he got that bias. Dumbledore went to Durmstrang. The Hufflepuffs are following them as they always do, he said, and most Ravenclaws haven't even noticed. And the Slytherins? I asked. Severus smirked. Passive-aggressive, but that's probably because you killed their parents. Potter killed some of them, I said modestly. Potter did not publicly take credit for their deaths. In retrospect, I probably should have taken Bellatrix off of my public relations team prior to her revelation as a traitor. Have you tried taking house points? Severus nodded. I did, but they ran out. I snorted. There's your problem. You lose all your power when they see they can't win.
That's probably why they're so upset, Severus drawled. Also, the Caros have been crucioing first years. I'd have expected the Caros to be incompetent, but this was actively hurting the learning environment. Clearly, they would have to go. I scowled, waving Severus away with a request to send up Sirius and the Malfoys. They arrived quickly. The Malfoys were pale and nervous, but Sirius retained the relaxed demeanour that had earned him his place at my right hand. I smiled. Lucius flinched, and I smiled wider in response. Sirius, would you like to be the Muggle Studies professor? He shrugged. Eh, sure. Then I shall be the defence against the Dark Arts, professor, I declared, staring dreamily at the ceiling. That's a great idea, Sirius said. Lucius, displaying his pessimistic nature, said, "'Are you sure about this, my lord?' Sirius smirked. "'What? You think you'll be a bad professor?' "'No, of course not,' Lucius said. "'I was simply concerned that he might be distracted from our other goals, like running Wizarding Britain.' "'You underestimate me,' I said coldly. "'I think you'll be brilliant, my lord,' the younger one blurted out. I chuckled, rising from my desk to approach him. "'Ah, Draco, I've been meaning to speak with you. How go the trials?' Draco peered intently at his toes. "'I'm, ah, stuck.' I raised an eyebrow. "'Stuck?' "'I can't get into the girls' dormitory for the next key piece. There are wards.' I clenched my wand in annoyance. "'For Merlin's sake, you're a wizard. Turn yourself into a girl. I can think of three ways off the top of my head.' Draco looked pale. Oh. Or you could befriend a girl and have her do it. I waved my wand around for emphasis. Then you'll find out about friendship or something. What's important is that you find a lesson and learn it. Thank you, he said, voice trembling along with the rest of his body. You can leave now, I said. The Malfoy clone scurried away, likely planning to join his classmates' rebellion. I shook my head and turned my attention back to Dumbledore's lemon drops. I landed upon the apprentice's shoulder. The muscle beneath me was tensed. The shiny sword raised for battle. It pleased my ears, and I sang in support. The red one covered her ears, revealing her corruption to the world. But the others did not understand this. Evil filled their nest. It was in the apprentice's nature to fight it. I am the same. For now, I would aid him, lunge at the evil ones, claw out their eyes. But the apprentice did not need me. He was too noble. He would do the right thing without being watched. My old roost was dead, and my new roost gone. The new roost would return as he always did. When he came, I would be there to ensure that he denied his darker nature. I feared what he would do if I was not there, watching. Ron woke slowly. He found himself unable to rise and to meet the day, partially because he was still drowsy, and partially because he was tied up in the middle of our trunk. Guys? I took a leisurely walk around his captured form. My invisibility cloak ensured that he only heard measured footsteps and an eerie voice. I always knew that you would betray us, 
Did you really believe that we wouldn't find out, Ron? Find out what? You've been sneaking out of the trunk, carefully avoiding my traps, but you were foolish. Hermione saw you returning. This wouldn't have been a problem, of course, if you had been invisible. In her ominous, shadowy corner, Hermione groaned. You do have to take off the cloak sometime. Really, that's what the youngest brother did, and then he died, I spat. Hermione stepped into the light, glaring at me instead of Ron. Anyway, if you have an explanation, Ronald, now would be a good time. I know you can't see it right now, but my wand is pointing right at you, I helpfully added. I've been sending letters, he said. Traitorous letters? Hush, Harry, Hermione said. Who are you sending letters to? Ah, uh, family of Greyback, Ron muttered. I knew it! Also, who is that? A vicious werewolf who follows you-know-who, Hermione said, frowning. We're sort of pampals now, Ron said, struggling against his ropes, or possibly attempting to shrug. He's got some really good points, actually. Hermione gaped at him. He bites children! I said some. Also, he only went after wizarding kids because he wanted to change cultural perceptions about werewolves by forcing prominent purebloods to face the issue. Ron paused for a moment. I think that's a quote. But Remus, I'm writing to him too, Ron said. Also my mum, she worries. I don't want any more hours. I nodded. She almost got us killed that one time. Ron grinned, either at my remark or Hermione's gullible decision to free him from the ropes. I know you don't really understand parents, Harry, but she's really stressed out about all this. Especially pretending I have dragon pox. I bet Hermione's parents are going balmy too. Hermione peered intently down at her wand, perhaps checking it for tampering. Actually, they don't remember that they have a daughter. Yeah, the Dursleys did that sometimes, I commiserated. Harry, that's horrible. Maybe for you, I thought it was great. Tears filled Hermione's eyes. It, it isn't like that. They aren't abusive like your family. I erased their memories. Ron's eyes widened. Why would you? I wouldn't have gone to Australia if they knew I was still in England. But they simply aren't safe here. Hermione. That's evil, I said. The brunette whirled around to glare at me, wand raised. Will you stop saying things like that? But it is. You turned them into completely different people so that you could ignore their explicit wishes. Hermione, you murdered your parents. Even I didn't murder all of my parents. I'll set them right afterwards, she said. Unless you die, Ron said. It was as if her vocal cords had been hit with a shriveling curse, leaving her voice small and childlike. You guys can do it, then. I'm terrible at memory charms, and you really trust Ron with your parents' brains? I asked. Hey, Ron said. You're so right. I don't know anything about memory charms. Hermione desperately tried to justify her despicable act. It's... it's better this way. They're safe from you-know-who. Her reasoning baffled me. Hermione, the Death Eaters don't care about your parents. How would they even know where they live? I've spent a couple of summers there, and even I don't know where they live. They could still be caught in a raid or something, she mumbled, hugging herself tightly. That seems fairly unlikely, I said. We were silent for some time. Eventually Ron said, So, what do we do now? We haven't captured Nagini yet, Hermione said. Separating her from you-know-who could be difficult. That is a priority, I agreed. First, however, we have to go to Australia to fix Hermione's terrible mistake. 
Though our long and dangerous mission into the outback was successful, Hermione had retreated into our trunk to sob into her pillow. I'm evil. I'm actually evil. Ron was above us, comforting the Grangers, and, if the situation called for it, obliviating them of Hermione's confession. That left me to calm down the most vicious member of our trio. So, you're evil. She wailed, burying her face further into the downy fabric. I continued. That's not a bad thing. Plenty of people are evil, and they live perfectly good lives, like Dumbledore. Hermione lifted her head, watching me with blank red eyes. Dumbledore? Yes, he was best friends with Grindelwald when they were kids, but then Dumbledore killed him, I said. He didn't kill any of his other friends, however, which shows his great self-restraint. There's something wrong with you, she said into her pillow. I glanced around, casually checking for listeners, before admitting, Hermione, much like you, my nature is also somewhat evil. But I channel that evil into constructive aims, like murdering the Dark Lord. We should probably get back to that, by the way. It's been a few weeks. But what if I'm the next Dark Lord? I don't think you know who will like that very much. You'll have to kill him anyway, I said. Hermione giggled, smiling up at me. I don't know what was funny about that, but I took it as a good sign. I continued. You'll be fine so long as you listen to your friends when they tell you that you're committing an atrocity. Then later, when you're the Dark Lady of Wizarding Britain, you reward them by making them the headmaster of Hogwarts. Sirius Black twirled his wand between his fingers, eyes making a lazy sweep over the packed denizens of Diagon Alley. Timid shopkeepers peered at the group of Death Eaters from windows and doorways. A woman screeched and flailed under the Cruciatus, and the Nagini sprawled in the sun, a humanoid bulge in her stomach. Black groaned. Ryan, five minutes and I'm already bored. Any chance we can head back? Voldemort said. I'm surprised at you, Black. I distinctly recall your enthusiasm for raids. He shrugged. I've got papers to grade and six kids in for detention tonight. Having a job kind of sucks. There was a loud groan from inside Nagini. At that moment I stepped into view, and Voldemort hissed. Porter! Hi, Tom, I said, approaching the Dark Lord and his right-hand man. He sneered at me. Don't call me by that name. You've made it impossible to say your old name, and I can't just call you you-know-who. That would be silly. Voldemort thoughtfully tapped his chin with his wand. You could call me my lord. Well, I suppose I could, but that would be untrue. Show some respect for your betters, a Death Eater shouted as he jabbed his wand at me. Imperio! For a moment there was a distortion in my vision, and everything seemed very bright. It ended as the Death Eater barked. Bow to him! I gave the man a bald look. Crucio. He fell, wailing to the ground. I smirked. You should show respect for your betters. Voldemort laughed, and Black also cracked an uneasy grin. That was a good one. So, have you come here to protect these miserable excuses for witches and wizards? Actually, no, I said. I just needed to grab something. Red light filled the hallway. The Death Eaters, shopkeepers, shoppers, and even I watched, stunned, as the light receded and Ron hauled Nagini up by the neck. Hermione, shaking herself into action, grabbed the snake's tail and apparated them away. With a cheerful wave towards Voldemort and his right-hand man, I followed. Where am I? Nagini hissed several hours later. Ron's stunner was truly astounding. You're at your new home, I said. Welcome to the trunk. You're following me now.
the snake backed up. Why? I, I can, can talk, talk to you. She sniffed anxiously at the air. That is true, but you are not my master. I raised an eyebrow. Are you sure? Less so now, Nagini said, and slithered towards my feet. I patted her head. You're taking the piss out of me, Ron said. Hermione frowned. How did you just do that? I explained that I was the superior parcel-mouth, I said. She argued, but soon realized that I was right, and has endeavored to do exactly as I say. I think we can all learn a lot from Nagini. Ron laughed, still daydreaming about our successful raid. I can't believe you were actually bait for once. I smirked. I was more of a distraction. And you completely ignored that imperious. Then cruciate the coster, Hermione said, still judgmental despite coming to terms with her own evil. And I suppose you're going to say that you have an insane amount of willpower because you're the descendant of Merlin or something. I chuckled. No, no, there's a trick to it, actually. You can't be affected by two imperiouses at once. Ron blinked. What? I attempted to lower my speaking to Weasley levels. If you're under the Imperius from one person, then a new Imperius won't make you do things. Hermione nibbled her lip. You're under the Imperius? I am under the Imperius, I said, pointing my wand at my temple. You... why? I stroked Nagini, who was currently curled around my leg, squeezing affectionately. To protect me from the Imperius, of course. I just order myself to do whatever I want, so it doesn't really affect me. Ron said, So when you said that you couldn't be blamed for cruise-sharing that guy because you wanted the Imperius, you weren't joking. Why would I joke about something like that? Hermione's eyes were wide with wonder and admiration. Harry, how long have you been doing this? On and off since I learned about the spell. Three years, she squeaked. More like sixty. Yes? That cannot be healthy, she muttered. Take it off, please. I did so, and Hermione stole my wand. The sink unfolded, revealing the shadowed and slimy entrance to the Chamber of Secrets. Draco Malfoy peered into the darkness, keeping his feet firmly on the tiles of the girl's loo. I suppose this explains a lot. I was starting to think that Potter was a pervert. I nodded. Yes, and the current location of the chamber is an unfortunate consequence of the constantly shifting nature of Hogwarts. Draco seemed troubled. This doesn't make sense, though. How can one of the trials require a parcel mouth? The other ones at least pretended to be fair. I snorted. You don't need to be a parcel mouth to open it. There are only like four syllables in parcel tongue. Random hissing would probably crack it eventually. He was shocked, silent at my brilliance. Besides, I continued, it's not unfair that you needed a parcel mouth because one was there. Perhaps... One will always be there. Draco took a step into the chamber. Thank you, my lord. I told you, call me Professor, I said. Also, good luck with the basilisk. Hermione, please give me my wand back, I begged. Hermione held my wand above her head, using her height advantage against me. Not until I'm sure that you won't cast an unforgivable on yourself. I took a step upon the worn wooden floor and placed a hand on her shoulder. What? No. Why would I cast an unforgivable on myself? That would be ridiculous. Give me the wand. She groaned. My wand clenched firmly in her hands. No. I can feel my magical core draining. There hasn't been a theory of magic that even postulated magical cores since the 17th century. 
Hermione furrowed her brow. I'm honestly not sure why you would have heard about them. Hermione, I am begging you, she glared at me. Will you stop? I'll never stop. You'll have to imperial me. I will not, she ground out. I'll set Nagini on you, I said. Nagini, hiss at Hermione. Nagini hissed, and Hermione swallowed heavily. You wouldn't. You're right, I mumbled. Hermione blinked. Really? I whirled around to my other minion. Ron, give me Dumbledore's wand. Ron's freckles stood darkly against his white face. Uh, can't, sorry. You aren't even using it. It's not a very good match for me, he mumbled. But I still can't give it to you. Don't let Hermione bully you into denying me this, I said. Honestly, will you stop trying to manipulate Ron? Hermione raised her hands to keep me silent. And no, I am not going to stop you with the Imperius just because you have some sort of addiction. I glared at my traitorous followers. I am not addicted. It's just that everything is terrible now. The colors are too bright, and the light is sharper, and I feel guilty about everything. Oh, man, is this how you feel all the time? Uh, no? Ron denied his suffering, but I could see the truth in his eyes. Wait, have they always been blue? Hermione pinched the bridge of her nose, wild hair drifting over her eyes. I'm sorry, Harry, but you'll just have to ride out this whatever it is. She was wrong, I suddenly realized. I raced towards the cupboard and ducked through my robes. With a triumphant cry, I unearthed a wand and held it aloft. Hermione frowned, and with a twirl of her wand said, Expelliarmus! I whimpered. Hermione examined the wand with a gentle frown. Where did you even get this? I stole it from Neville. The reason doesn't even make sense now. I paused for a moment. Do you think I should give it back? Ron frowned. Uh, maybe when you're acting less crazy, or at least more your kind of crazy? I shook my head, summoning my wand from Hermione's grasp with a flick of my wrist. No, we have to go to Hogwarts. It's the only way to defeat the Dark Lord. He's killing people right now, Hermione said. Harry, right now, I can hear the screaming. It's kind of creeping me out. Besides, I really need to return Neville's wand. Hermione sighed. All right. Ron scrambled towards the trunk's desk in search of parchment. Allow Jenny. We followed Pansy Parkinson and Crab through the secret passageway, Ron sulking and eyeing the Slytherins with suspicion, probably leading us into a trap bloody death eaters in training. Hermione said, Ron, stop antagonizing your allies. I don't think they really are allies, he said. Why would Ginny send a bunch of Slytherins to get us in? Parkinson flipped her dark hair dismissively. Perhaps because we're the only ones who can travel unwatched in Hogsmeade? Ron kicked a rodent's skull, sending it skittering into the darkness. I'm just saying we should have gotten a passcode or something. Then you would be claiming that they'd intercepted our mail, Hermione said. I trailed behind them, comfortably invisible, as I pulled along our trunk. It's possible they still did. That's why they were able to so seamlessly intercept our meeting, leading us ever closer to our doom. Hermione, showing a shocking lack of caution, snapped. Harry, will you stop encouraging him? Ron scowled. I just don't get why a bunch of Slytherins would help us. Parkinson disdainfully glanced at the slime dripping from the walls and the Weasley walking behind her. I'm beginning to wonder that as well. See? Crab grunted. The Dark Lord killed my father. Was that my fault? That might have been one of my killing curses. I shrugged off the question. That monster! The hulking boy sniffled. Everything's worse with him here, except the creature's rights laws. Those are very progressive. They're a travesty, if you ask me, Parkinson said. Nobody did, Ron snapped. Why are you helping, anyway? I owe Jenny a favour. Besides, Harry is an honorary Slytherin. Ron paled. He's a what now? Parkinson smirked, a slight sway in her step. Oh, yes, he did win us the House Cup in third year. But that doesn't make him 
Snape thinks it does, she purred. Of course, he thinks that everyone who beats him at something is supposed to be in Slytherin. That man takes house loyalty way too far. I feel obligated to point out that, though I have the best traits of all four houses, I am more brave and noble than all of them combined, I announced. Hermione rolled her eyes. Ron said, I can't be it, though. There's got to be some other reason. A slim figure stepped out of the darkness, red hair dazzling under our lumos. They've been a lot more helpful since I explained that I'm the heiress of Slytherin. Ron's jaw dropped. Ginny! Hi, guys! Ginevra chirped. Hermione smiled. How are you doing? Great! We're taking back most of the classrooms, three of the common rooms, and possibly the North Tower, depending on whether or not Trelawney's still a Death Eater. I guess you still haven't gotten the snakes, then, Ron said. Now, that was easy, Ginevra said. The problem is that we lost Hufflepuff. Castle moved after the Death Eaters showed up, Crabbe grunted. I had to share a bedroom with six puffs, Parkinson shivered with perfectly justifiable disgust. Ginevra said, We're staging expeditions into the dungeons to find it, but no luck so far. The Slytherins departed as we entered an enormous room. Piles of rubble leaned against its filthy walls, and beds were scattered around the rock floor, some holding bandaged and unconscious students. The Chamber of Secrets had certainly changed since last time I'd visited. We passed several cauldrons as we walked. I peered into one. Felix Felicius. Neville approached us, grinning. I figured we needed all the luck we could get. Hey, Nev! One of the injured students yelled. Get away from the potions before they have another go at you! Neville makes the potions explode just by looking at him, Ginevra explained. Neville laughed, and the sword of Gryffindor banged against his side with each guffaw. Come in handy in the potions classroom that one time. An arm crawled over Neville's shoulder and down his chest, and Lavender's face appeared in the crook of his neck. You shouldn't stay here too long, Nevy, sweetie. Hermione stepped forward to protect Ron from the potential explosion. Surprisingly, her shield has always been superior. She regarded Lavender coolly. You're dating Neville now. I think he's just so brave for taking on all those Death Eaters, she cooed. Also, he's got the sword of Gryffindor, so he's the bravest guy in the whole wide world. I could have the sword of Gryffindor, Ron muttered. Hermione elbowed him, and he smiled nervously. I shoved Neville's old wand at his chest. This is yours. I found it in my trunk, and was compelled by my inherent nobility to return it. Neville stared down at it, smiling softly. Wow, thanks. I don't really use magic much. And my new one's a better match anyway, but this was my dad's. Good to have it back? I nodded. Yes. Ginevra spun in place, short hair twirling around her head like a dress. Welcome to the Chamber of Secrets. Hermione glanced around. So you're really the heiress? I just assumed you had caught Harry's sense of humour. Of course I am, Ginevra said. I command the basilisk. She hissed. Come. Or possibly strangle. Her accent was terrible. The basilisk slithered towards us, students scrambling out of its way. It came to rest beside Ginevra, eyes closed and waiting for instructions. Go sleep twice, Ginevra said. Only need look terrifying. I would like to reiterate the horror that was Ginevra Weasley attempting to speak parcel tongue. The basilisk silently accepted this butchery of the language, returning to an empty corner where it curled into a ball. Ron had the look of a man whose entire world had been destroyed, and even Hermione appeared a bit faint. I responded in the only way I knew how. Ha! I told you I wasn't the heir. What a fool I had been. I had let my guard down in enemy territory, and so now here I was, cornered. I eased my hand towards my pocket, hoping I could reach my wand before she did any irreparable damage. But no, my plan had been foreseen, and my arm grabbed. Harry, I just wanted to thank you for giving me a second chance, Ginevra said. You know, 
back in my first year. I frowned, unsure of how she'd come to this conclusion. Ginevra Weasley was being possessed by my younger self while opening the Chamber of Secrets. At least I think she was. You remember being the heir? Her lips flitted upwards, and she murmured, Bits and pieces, the bathroom, the chamber, speaking parcel tongue. You? She squeezed my arm a little tighter, and her voice softened to a whisper. I've reformed. I really have. But sometimes I still think about killing muggle-borns. That's perfectly natural, I assured her. Ginevra giggled. That's what Pansy says, too. Anyway, I just wanted to thank you for not sending me to Azkaban and... Using her height advantage against me, Ginevra leaned forward. Her breath fanned my lips. Tell you that, I jerked away. You're very welcome, Herbert. I need to go kill Voldemort. Goodbye. Grabbing Hermione, I fled towards the girl's loo. We should have gotten Ron, Hermione muttered as we hurried through the hallways. I shook my head. There wasn't time. Hermione raised an eyebrow. What do you mean? I mentally shoved away images of Ginevra, though they would no doubt haunt my nightmares for years to come. We need to get the diadem of Ravenclaw, so we couldn't wait thirty seconds to call over Ron. Exactly. This is a quick, easy mission, and getting Ron would take more time than bringing him would save. Besides, someone has to watch the trunk, and frankly, it's hard enough fitting you under the cloak. I pulled at the starry fabric surrounding us. If Hermione didn't touch forward, the passing Death Eaters could see our shoes. We reached the third floor, and I began pacing. Hermione asked, "'The diadem is in the Room of Requirement?' I turned on my heel, heading back up the hallway. "'Technically, everything that's in Hogwarts is in the room, if you wish for it hard enough.' Hermione rolled her eyes. "'Didn't you lock that?' "'I did,' I said. "'But I can get in.' I finished pacing, and an impressive oak door shimmered into existence. A silvery lock sat in its centre. I sauntered up to it. All I need is faith in myself, which I have in abundance, and to have learned lessons from the trials. Thankfully, I set up all the trials, so I already know everything. Of course you do, Hermione muttered from close behind me. I turned the knob and... Click. I turned the knob again, and again it didn't open. All right, new plan, I said. We need to convert Malfoy. We what? She groaned. Harry, that's... no. I leaned against the wall. The stone's chill dulled by my cloak. Right, right, the breakup's still too fresh. That's fine. Draco is rebellious enough even without your influence. When has Malfoy ever rebelled? Hermione said. He practically worships his father. And yet his hair tells another story, I said. Hermione blinked, her mind slowly churning over my amazing deduction. His. I'm sorry? Lucius Malfoy is very proud of his long, luxurious hair. He even cloned himself just to ensure its continued existence— Yet what has Draco done? Cut it and hardened it with harsh gels. If Draco was truly so devoted to his father, why would he spit upon his very reason for existence? Hermione buried her face in her hands. I think I like this plan better before you explained it. I grinned and took off towards the dungeons. Let's go find Malfoy. Draco Malfoy wandered outside of the DADA classroom, a thoughtful and solitary figure. As he passed a dusty side corridor, no doubt created during the castle's recent shuffling, I muttered, Akio Malfoy. Malfoy's gasp mingled with a more distant yelp as he stumbled towards us. With a nervous glance round the seemingly empty corridor, Malfoy said, Potter? I whipped off the cloak, revealing Hermione and myself. Striding towards him, I said, What gave me away? The strength of my spellcasting? The brilliance of my plan? The subtle sense of— You're invisible, he said. 
I paused, not at all appreciating Hermione's giggles. Right, yes, I suppose that makes sense. Malfoy glanced back towards the entranceway, which shimmered with invisibility and silencing spells. What are you doing here, Potter? You shouldn't have— Wait, have you been here all year? Skulking around under your cloak? I leaned casually against the wall, arms crossed. Perhaps? Hermione rolled her eyes. No. I could have been, I said. That doesn't change the fact that you weren't, Hermione said, maliciously diminishing my reputation. Malfoy drummed his fingers against his wand, body half-turned towards the exit. You still haven't explained what you're doing here. I have a proposition for you. I twirled my wand between my fingers. How would you like to join Hermione's dark army? Harry, you are not— I raised a hand to silence her. Quiet, Hermione. If you aren't going to be proactive, then I'll have to do this for you. Granger has an army, Malfoy said, still too blinded by Hermione's innocent image and his own lingering feelings to imagine it. I nodded. We're still in the early recruiting stages, which offers you a chance to get in on the ground floor. With Hermione's brilliant, vicious mind and your financial resources, as well as the lessons you've learned from my trials, you could completely replace the government within a decade. I understand that you may be reluctant to follow someone with lesser blood than you. I can assure you, however, that that would not be the case in this instance. You will not— Hermione cut off as my silencing spell hit her. She glared daggers at me, but I spoke firmly. He has a right to know. I turned back to the curious blonde with a smile. Rowena Ravenclaw had a second daughter, a squib. She never talked about her, of course, because she was a squib. Malfoy sneered. Understandable. That daughter had children of her own. Eventually, her descendants moved to Australia where the magical blood rekindled to form the Granger family. Generally, the Grangers have been an odd and reclusive clan, keeping well away from even the Australian magical society. Upon discovering their relation to a Hogwarts founder, however, they chose to send their latest child to study abroad. Hermione had finally worked off the silencing charm. I am not the heiress of Ravenclaw. Really? If it isn't true, then why are you denying it? I demanded. Taken aback by my stunning logic, she turned to the much more gullible Malfoy. You don't believe this tripe? It would explain a few things, he admitted. But no, you're actively denying it, and I've learned my lesson about listening to Potter. Oh, thanks, Circe, Hermione sighed. I hope you'll still join, I said, despite Hermione's incessant secret-keeping. Malfoy frowned, clearly put off by the heiress's antics. I suppose. Wonderful, I exclaimed. First order of business, eliminating the competition. Hermione! Malfoy let out a strangled squeak as my best minion explained. We've been collecting several objects necessary to kill you-know-who. All we need is the diadem of Ravenclaw, Hermione's family heirloom, I interjected. Unfortunately, it's still in the room of requirement, which is locked. Luckily you, I tapped him on the chest with my wand, have part of the key. I figure we can get the rest by dinner. Malfoy raised an eyebrow. Dinner? It took me over a year to get the last five pieces. I designed it to be completed in about three months, I said. Trust me, we'll be in by dinner. Malfoy's eye twitched. I smirked. Hermione, you can grab Ron and the trunk while we tackle the next trial. Meet us at the room of requirement. All right. Hermione cast a disillusionment charm on herself. Draco, I need you to throw a snake at me. Malfoy paused for a moment. Mind repeating that, Potter? Throw a snake at me, I cried. Quickly, there's no time to explain. Draco threw a snake at me. I recognized the pattern of black and green scales immediately. Ophion! The snake peered upwards, scenting the air. You are a speaker? 
You don't remember me? I asked. The snake hissed a no. With a heavy sigh, I vanished it. Harry, Hermione snapped. Why'd you do that? He wasn't the same, so I killed him, I explained. Malfoy paled and demonstrated an appropriate level of fear and awe by taking a step away from me. Hermione groaned. Harry, are you under the Imperius again? And he kept planning partner activities, even though I was the only one who attended class, Draco ranted. I thoughtfully caressed my wand. So you would consider the Dark Lord a fairly bad professor, then? Yes, Draco said. I mean, he's probably the best DADA teacher I've ever had, but he's still horrible. While talking, we had entered the third-floor corridor, which sometimes held the entrance to the Room of Requirement. Ron and Hermione were waiting for us by the locked door, and Hermione hurried over. Oh, good, I was worried you would— Is Malfoy wearing leather pants? I glanced at the tight, black pants Draco was currently sporting. Technically, it's dragonhide. It protects you from fire. Yes, but why? she pressed, yet again demonstrating her intense curiosity about the world at a wildly inappropriate time. Dragons breathe fire. It's a part of their metaphysical nature. Not that! Hermione snapped. Why is he wearing them? I glanced towards the door to confirm that Ron and Hermione had not suddenly swapped places. To protect him from fire, of course. She pinched the bridge of her nose. Then why isn't he wearing a shirt? It caught on fire. For Merlin's sake, Hermione, keep up! Ron, noticing Draco's shirtless state, came over to glare at him. I still don't trust you. Why are you even helping us, anyway? I don't believe in the Dark Lord's tenants anymore, except in the creature's rights laws, Draco said. The fourth trial taught me a lot about acceptance, and I can't seem to unlearn it. Ron snorted. So you're suddenly our friend? Draco crossed his arms over his bare chest and sneered. Don't worry, Weasel, I still think you're a pathetic, idiotic Gryffindor. You didn't mention that he's poor, I pointed out. The second trial taught me what it's like to have nothing, Draco smirked. I imagine that's how Weasley feels all the time. I do not, Ron roared, jabbing his wand against Draco's chest. Hermione battered it down with her own wand, glaring at them. Enough, let's stop bickering and go into the room. Draco paused. We can't. Why not? Hermione said coldly, Ron looming above her. Draco pulled six silver objects from his dragonhide pants. They glowed slightly where they touched each other. The key still isn't complete. Right, yes, I almost forgot about that. I rattled through my pockets. Here you go, Draco. Draco stared at the item in my hand. You had the final piece? The whole time. He snatched the rest of the key, glowering at the three of us. Then it wasn't fair at all. Sure it was. Could have learnt a lesson about friendship, espionage, or possibly seduction. Ron asked. Is that why he's not wearing a shirt? But you weren't even at the castle this year, Draco said. Yet, when you needed the final piece, I was. Perhaps I always would have been. Draco growled at me, and, with a burst of light, the pieces united into an ornate silver key. He stomped towards the door and stuck it into the lock. The key broke, its pieces disappearing, and the door remained closed. The blonde whirled around, glowering. It broke! I hurried forward. Draco, don't you deserve to get in? Draco sneered. Of course I do. I did all your stupid trials. And learned so many lessons, I mused. If you truly deserve to go in, then why would you need a key? You're kidding me, he said flatly. I placed a hand on his shoulder. Draco, open the door. Young Malfoy turned the knob, and the door smoothly opened. You see, I said, the true key was within you all along. 
All you had to do was believe in yourself. Draco gazed into the room of requirement, which was empty save for the pedestal holding Ravenclaw's diadem. I spent a year and a half tracking down the key pieces, all for a key that I didn't need. I chuckled, pushing past him. Just because the key doesn't open the door doesn't mean you don't need the key. My three minions followed me inside. Ravenclaw's diadem, Hermione breathed. She collapsed against the doorway to gaze upon her ancestor's artifact. I grinned, opening my trunk to store the diadem with my other horcruxes. You aren't putting it on? Ron asked. I blinked. What? Yeah, the diadem. Whole point of it is to put it on, right? It makes you smarter and stuff. Hermione clicked her tongue. It's a strange magical artifact that may very well be cursed. Of course he isn't just tossing it on his head. that I'm so stupid. So many missed opportunities. So many overlooked alliances. So many times I shouldn't have gotten drunk. You put it on, Hermione sighed. Of course you did. She thought I'd been acting foolishly, but she was wrong. Her point regarding the possibility of my diadem being cursed was a fair one, particularly considering the fact that it was cursed. However, this was the wisest thing I'd ever done. I should have worn it years ago, rather than making the Horcrux. Or I even could have done both. Sure, people would try to steal it, but I would guard it heavily regardless of whether it contained my soul. "'Harry?' Ron asked weakly. He sounded cautious but concerned. Of course he did. He was fond of me. And I've proven myself to be somewhat childish, even insane. What a fool I was. "'Harry? Are you all right?' Hermione asked. "'No, no, I wasn't. I was an idiot.' Why did I even want to be the defense teacher anyway? Or to be immortal? What was the point? I grabbed the diadem, flinging it towards Hermione. Hermione, destroy it. Hermione rolled her eyes. It's a relic, Harry. I won't damage a vital piece of history simply because you don't like the truth. Besides, we need it for the ritual. She puts it on. My eyes widened. No, you fool! Take it off right now and perhaps you'll escape. Merlin, I'm so stupid. Ron plucked it off her head. Hermione swayed, mumbling. That really was awful. Ron tucked it under his arm. Draco sneered. Aren't you putting it on? You might finally learn what it's like to have normal intelligence. Ron rolled his eyes and remarked. No, I already know I've been dumb. Why, you want it? Draco paled. You can keep it. Ron shrugged, tossing it back to me. I slung it over my shoulder, which I imagined gained incredible insight into the world, but was unable to share it due to being a shoulder. Hermione, meanwhile, had approached Ron... She smiled. When I was wearing the diadem, I realized that we could be dead in a couple of hours, and I never would have told you that I liked you, which is just so absolutely stupid, because you obviously like me too. So I was wondering if, perhaps, presuming the diadem isn't cursed to give misleading information. Ron leaned down to kiss her, and she enthusiastically reciprocated. I watched, dumbfounded. Ron and Hermione, wow, I did not see that coming. Draco turned away, unable to watch his first love with another man. I said, I'm so sorry, Draco. He raised an eyebrow and drawled, Potter, I'm disgusted. Sure you are, I said. But if you ever need to talk about this, I can lend you to Nevra. Come to think of it, you can keep her. Draco sneered at me, a sure sign that he was feeling better. I don't want your girlfriend, Potter. He'd even discovered his sense of humor. I said, We should get back to the rebel base to regroup. Along the way, Hermione can devise one of her evil schemes. Hermione tore herself from the snog for an indignant, I don't devise evil schemes! I rolled my eyes. Fine, one of your regular schemes, then. Hermione would find a way to make it evil.
Draco stood atop the staircase. Lost in thought, he steadied himself on the slimy wall. Even after my trial down here, I'm still shocked that you ended up being the heir. Why does everyone think that? He was Ginevra. Draco snapped out of his reverie and snatched his hand from the muck-lined wall with a wet pop. After a panicked cleaning charm, he said, A Weasley? The heir of Slytherin? Ron said, well, Why not? You Gryffindors! He spat. I chuckled. Just because someone is a Gryffindor doesn't mean they aren't a Slytherin. Right, Hermione? Hermione pushed past us and into the darkness, muttering about morons, probably Ron's fault. We hurriedly followed. I said, To be fair, Ginevra is a seventh child. Draco said, You can't expect me to believe that the Weasleys managed to squeeze a parcel mouth from their impure blood, no matter how many children they pop out. Ron's face flushed bright red, but his angry exclamation was cut short by a calm voice below us. I'm quite certain Ginny's a parcel mouth. She told me how to say my name in it and everything. There is no word in that language which comes anywhere near Luna's name. I shudder to think what horribly mispronounced nickname Ginevra had bestowed upon the poor girl. The blonde was cheerfully waiting at the bottom of the steps with Hermione, who said, Luna's guarding the door. You aren't Death Eater's polyjuiced to look like you for, are you? The blonde politely inquired. Draco raised an eyebrow. If that were the case, why would I be here? I'm not sure why you're here anyway, Ron muttered. I said, To be fair, the Death Eaters might have run out of polyjuice. That would be pathetic, Draco said. Sounds fairly typical for them, really, I mused. Ron chose to use his brain, and as always, the result was a terrible disappointment. Could you even beat that many Death Eaters, Luna? Hermione pursed her lips. It's more about sounding the alarm, Ronald. If she couldn't, why would they bother using polyjuice? I added. I'll be fine. Neville even loaned me the sword of Gryffindor. Luna hefted the sword and waved at us. Hermione's eye twitched violently. You are a true Gryffindor? Not really, she said. It's more about how you hold it. I— Is that my house-elf? Draco demanded, glaring into the chamber where Dobby was scurrying about with a tray of sandwiches. Oh, yes, Luna said. Apparently he's been stealing from me for several years. I think he's a true Slytherin. Draco's agitated gaze swept over the room, eyes widening when he reached a small crowd towards the center. Snape? He's more of a Ravenclaw, Luna said. Draco rushed over to the crowd. I sedately followed. With a casual incarcerator to tie up Draco, Ginevra said, Hi, Harry. I didn't know you were going to kidnap Malfoy. Hermione recruited him, actually, I said. Huh. Ginevra glanced down at the struggling rope-bound boy at her feet. I guess she's wanted him for a while, so give her. I gestured towards the man bound to a wooden chair. I see you've kidnapped Snape. Astute as ever, Potter, Severus said. We took him right from his office, Neville said, lifting up the sorting hat as an odd trophy. It remained inactive, still and deflated in his grasp. Ginevra beamed. We've got the headmaster, so we're pretty sure we end this school now. That's ridiculous. We're in the exact same situation we were this morning, Hermione said. Yeah, but our Snape can awaken the castle and drive up the invaders, Ginevra continued. Hermione's eyes fluttered at this new and overwhelming information. Awaken... I'm sorry? I explained. The castle is a living being, capable of controlling all within its walls. Only the headmaster can call it to action, that, Ginevra said. Cute. Do you two practice this? Draco spat from his position on the floor. Of course not. We're simply right, I said. Severus watched our conversation with a sense of overwhelming boredom. No, you are not. I jabbed him in the chest with my wand. Really? If the castle isn't sentient, then why does it hate us so much? Severus merely sighed. Regardless, I have no such power. He could be lying, 
Neville said. He probably isn't, but he could be. I frowned. Know it and know for sure. He fooled Dumbledore for years. Our best bet is to kill him before he sows dissension in our ranks. Harry, we are not killing the headmaster, Hermione said, again showcasing her hypocrisy. If we kill him, I'm pretty sure we become the headmaster. They got rid of that rule of the thirteenth century, she said sharply, struggling to hide her disappointment. Still, I suspect this is a good time to mention that I am a spy, Severus said. Neville regarded him coldly. He set the sorting hat on the bed and took his sword back from Luna. We're aware of a Dumbledore, Severus clarified. I snorted. You don't actually expect us to believe that, Ginevra chirped. You hate Harry, even though he's the chosen one and great at potions and a genius and so, so handsome. Not wanting to encourage Ginevra's lunacy, I said, You're a terrible teacher. You helped you know who take over the school, Hermione said. You're best friends with Sirius Black. I leaned out of biting range as Snape snarled at that suggestion. Lavender's head crept upwards to settle on Neville's shoulder. You made me cry every day in second year. Me too, Neville said. So sensitive, she squealed throwing her hands round his neck in a crushing hug. Hermione sent them a disapproving look, and Ron hastily averted his eyes. He said, "'You haven't told the Order of the Phoenix anything since Dumbledore died, and I know because my family pretty much is the Order now.' I casually accurate the sorting hat, stuffing it into my trunk. "'Finally, you're a werewolf.' "'Not all werewolves are deaf ears,' Ron said. "'Of course they are!' I paused, quite certain that I hadn't spoken. Voldemort strode toward us, backed by several of his most loyal followers. More Death Eaters were pouring through the passageway by the moment. Right. The girl on guard duty had followed us inside and was currently giving Sirius Black, Voldemort's right-hand man, a friendly wave. Meanwhile, Fenrir Greyback bared his teeth at Ron in some approximation of a smile, Lucius anxiously tousled his hair at the thought of himself and his clone in such a filthy place, and several Death Eaters were gesturing frantically at Neville. Voldemort beamed, as if ready to get his picture taken. "'Your plan was brilliant. After all, he who commands the headmaster commands the school. Unfortunately for you, Severus has always been my most loyal servant.' With a flick of the Dark Lord's wand, the ropes fell, and Severus's wand snapped into its owner's hand. The man then leapt from the chair and threw a spell at one of his fellow Death Eaters. Voldemort gaped. "'You couldn't possibly have turned him already.' "'Of course not,' Severus drawled. "'They're idiots. I betrayed you decades ago.' Another slash of his wand sent a masked figure careening into the crowd. Voldemort raised his own wand, sneering, "'I always knew you would betray me one day. Crucio!' Hagrid lumbered forward to shield Severus with his enormous half-giant body. "'Severus, Hagrid, Benetrix, Rodolphus, and Rebaston. Who's the next serious black?' Voldemort laughed derisively. To be fair, the notion was completely ludicrous. To our shock, Black leapt into the battle. I was never one of you. You only thought that because you were idiots. I don't even have the dark mark. That was a sign of my trust. Voldemort was overwhelmed and heartbroken. He coped with these feelings, like all others, through murder. It was about that time that the werewolves rebelled, and the battle began in earnest. Before I could show off my own impressive skills, Hermione pulled me under the invisibility cloak with Ron and the trunk. I frowned. What was that about? We can't just fight Voldemort on his own footing, she hissed. I said, I could take him. We need a plan, she insisted. Bloody how, Ron said, staring out at the battlefield. Did Neville just take out that guy's heart? I smirked. 
It's nice to see he's found a use for his wand. He shook his head, freckles dark against his ghostly face. I didn't even know they were that sharp. I leaned in to whisper. They aren't. Hermione peered into my trunk. We need to isolate him from his followers. I'm not again. Ginevra wailed as Fox descended from the ceiling to attack the basilisk. Hermione's lips pursed. And we still have to worry about keeping him immobile for the duration of the ritual. At least Luna's enjoying herself, I said as the blonde frolicked past the Malfoys, who were cowering in the corner, as they often do. Ron nodded, wincing at the fate of the girl's nearest victim. Honestly, will you two pay attention? People are dying! Hermione snapped. Like Snape, I agreed. What? Are you sure? Hermione said. Oh, of course. Talking is a huge problem, unless she's the one who wants to do it. Then it's fine. Severus threw his hands into the air as he lurched to the stone floor. You have murdered me! Yeah, pretty sure, I said. A curse upon you all! Ron laughed. That's Snape, all right. Especially you, Black. A death curse? That's a pretty nasty blood magic. I wouldn't want to be them, I said. Hermione let out a shaky breath. Harry, you have some of Voldemort's memories. Surely you know something. Wait, what? Why do you think that? I said. I figured it out in fourth year, and frankly, I'm embarrassed it took me that long, Hermione said. It's frightfully obvious. Ron seemed completely lost, so Hermione said, Harry remembers some of the things from Voldemort's life due to their weird connection. That's why he knows so much magic and has so many biases. Right, yes, I said weakly. That's exactly what happened. I didn't tell you because I didn't want you to think I was a dirty Slytherin. I would never think that, Harry, Ron said. Not the time, Hermione said. Does Voldemort have any weaknesses? My answer was immediate. No, he's perfect. Hermione flinched at this disheartening news. Can we trick him? I thought about it for a time, over the sounds of battle and Fox's ineffectual yet enthusiastic pecks at the basilisk's scales. Yes, I think we can. Oh, thank Marlin, Hermione sighed. I turned to my best mate. Ron, I'm going to need you to be the most Gryffindor you have been in your entire life. A wry smile twitched Ron's lips. I'm going to be bait again, aren't I? I shook my head. No, more of a distraction. The battlefield was red not with blood, but with the blinding light of a stunner. The combatants froze, eyes wide as the light faded to reveal Ronald Weasley. He grinned and said, "'Oi, Voldemort! Why don't you fight the real Chosen One?' The Dark Lord was the first to break into action, unsurprising considering the quality of his present company. "'That's ridiculous. No Weasleys were born during the end of July,' Ron said. "'July is the seventh month of the Gregorian calendar. All real prophecies use the Roman one.' I was born at the end of its seventh month. You'd know that, if you ever took divination. Voldemort frowned. What about Harry Potter? He doesn't fit the prophecy, Ron said. The chosen one has to be a sixth son. It says so in the part he didn't hear. Voldemort's eyes narrowed, and his followers scuttled out of his way as he approached Ron. I always suspected you Weasleys were up to something. Your family knew about this all along, didn't you? That's why they had so many children. Yeah, of course we did, Ron agreed. You've been preparing for this day, binding your time while using Potter as bait. How vicious of you. I don't suppose you'd be interested in joining the Death Eaters. I've been a Death Eater was any good. Then all the other ones wouldn't have gone traitor, Ron said. Voldemort scowled. In that case, I'm going to kill you. All right, Ron said. We should probably set up some sort of shield or something. Oh, wait. Nobody can get involved in our battle. A swish of Voldemort's wand sent a shield shimmering darkly around them. This cut the two men off from the rest of the battlefield, who still watched in anxious silence. 
Only a handful of corpses shared their arena. Voldemort raised his wand. Ron's face scrunched up in a Weasley fashion. Aren't we supposed to bow first? You know, to help with our uh, legends? Voldemort glanced at the crowd and said, Yes, I suppose this would be a fitting addition to the legend of the Dark Lord Voldemort, politician, Weasley slayer, and future undisputed leader of the British Isles. Ron grinned and began to bow. Voldemort followed suit, maintaining eye contact the whole time and grasping his wand loosely in his hand, until, of course, I accued it. He whirled around, not noticing the red beam until it slammed into his back. Eyes wide open, Lord Voldemort fell to the floor. With a flick of my old U-wand, I flung the invisibility cloak off to reveal the trunk, Hermione, and myself. The frizzy-haired girl immediately rushed over to Ron, hugging him. I nudged Voldemort with my foot. "'Ron, I need you over here immediately. This is the moment you've been training for your whole life.' My best mate came over, grinning. "'Yeah?' I pointed emphatically with my wands. "'If he moves, I need you to stun him. And if he doesn't move, then he's probably trying to trick you and you should stun him anyway.' Ron nodded gravely, casting a stunner to demonstrate his understanding. With that taken care of, I returned to the crowd. "'Lord Voldemort has been defeated by me, Harry Potter!' The Death Eater's uneasy murmurs mingled with the Lightsiders' cheers. "'Anyone who keeps fighting on his behalf shall be crushed!' Several Death Eaters fled towards the exit. I twirled my wands and waited for them to leave. "'Good! I presume that you remaining few are his most loyal followers, so we don't need to feel bad about unleashing the really horrible spells, and there goes the rest of them.' Sirius Black let out a whoop of joy, tossing a curse at their backs. I shivered. Truly, he knew no loyalty. Hermione raised a hand for silence. "'We have everything under control, so you can all get rest or medical treatment.' "'Or drunk!' I added. Delighted yells and laughter rung out across the crowd. Ron threw another stunner at Voldemort. "'And somebody should probably call the Auros.' "'We, meanwhile, will be killing Voldemort with a secret technique left by Albus Dumbledore, the lightest of all light wizards,' I said. I tossed my old wand into my left hand, and, raising both arms heavenward, released plumes of red smoke. I was only carting with my holly wand, but it was all very stylish. The smoke pushed against the shield, hiding us from the crowd. Hermione added a silencing charm and turned to me. How precisely do we do this ritual, then? I snatched the locket from the Dark Lord's neck and rifled through the trunk, pulling out my horcruxes and the still inactivated sorting hat. Nagini slithered off my arm, first settling a foot away from Voldemort's head. Next, I set the other items in a circle around him. A slash of my wand cut Voldemort's arm and a stream of blood twirled out. Wrong gaped. Is that blood magic? Just like my mother used, I said. The ritual requires the caster's blood, but because of Voldemort's resurrection ritual, we literally have the same blood, or metaphorically have the same blood. Either way, I don't have to bleed. Hermione pursed her lips. That seems highly irresponsible. You're hardly one to talk, Miss Granger, a familiar voice drawled. Our heads snapped to the corner of Severus Snape, disapprovingly begun at the smoky ceiling. Hermione said, Professor? No one bothered to check if I was dead or merely wounded. How touching. To be fair, you did say you were dead, I pointed out. Hermione hurried over, making a fuss over his injuries to distract from her earlier apathy. Severus's dark eyes flicked to the thoroughly stunned Voldemort as Ron hit the body with another spell. It appears that, despite your bumbling idiocy and outrageous arrogance, you have successfully defeated the Dark Lord. Hermione said, Not yet, Professor. We still need a few minutes. Severus inclined his head. Fifty points to Slytherin. I'm rooting for Gryffindor now, I said. I don't care, Potter.
I'm also not technically a student. His eyes were dull and without emotion, as they always are. I still don't care. We kill you-know-who, and our reward is Slytherin winning the cup, Ron said. It's Snape, all right. Hermione tossed a stinging hex at Ron, and Severus said, Twenty points for your cheek. I paused, mulling over the redhead's words. A reward would be nice. Snape, you're still the headmaster, right? Severus narrowed his eyes at me. Presumably. I beamed. Can I be the defence against the dark arts, Professor? Severus said. Potter, I spent the last year as a spy under a murderous regime, despised by all my true allies, and running a school where the students were in constant warfare with half the staff. Despite all of that, the lack of your presence has made this the most pleasant year I've had in some time. I hoped that I could spend the rest of my life pretending you didn't exist. So that's a no, then. Severus stared at me silently. I stood there, wands heavy in my hands. Uh, my... shouldn't we be getting rid of Voldemort? Ron asked, casually stunning him. I suppose, I said morosely. Once I get over my disappointment... Severus scowled. Potter, are you holding the Wizarding World hostage to get a job? Hermione clucked disapprovingly. I shook my head. No, but I may be too upset to do the ritual right now, and who knows what sort of daring escape Voldemort might pull while we wait. Ron punctuated my point with a jet of red light. Fine, you're hired. Colourful sparks shot gaily from my wands. Really? Severus consoled himself with a muttered, You'll be gone in a year anyway. Harry, would you please do something about the genocidal maniac on the floor? Hermione said, her natural selfishness winning out again. I turned back to the ritual with a smile. A flick of my wand painted a bloody heptagon upon the floor. Its points lay at myself, Nagini, Ravenclaw's diadem, Hufflepuff's cup, Slytherin's locket, the gaunt ring, and the sorting hat. This ends the way it began. Avada Kedavra! Voldemort's soul was knocked from his body, but contained in the heptagon by the bloody markings. The ritual was conceptually simple. At each point of the heptagon lay a portion of Voldemort's soul, barring one, the sorting hat. To balance this out, the soul would naturally gravitate towards the empty container, forming a new horcrux with Voldemort's death serving as the necessary sacrifice. The bloody lines vanished as the soul settled into its new home, and the ritual's magic dispersed into the air, cancelling the shield around us. Everyone peered through the smoke, not noticing as I tossed my horcruxes inside the trunk. At that moment, Fox landed upon my shoulder. He let out a shriek directly into my ear and burst into flames. Later, many would describe this as a beautiful scene, symbolising the rebirth of Wizarding Britain after Lord Voldemort's demise. I don't know why. Fox does this every couple of years, and the second-degree burns he left were hardly inspirational. Personally, I believe he did it out of spite. End of chapter 9 For the full text of this and other stories by the same author, visit the fanfiction.net and archive of our own pages of Emerald Ashes. First pass editing by Ohana. The music is Playground by Rusha Sound. That's R-U-E-S-C-H-E dash sounds. If you would like to commission me to record a story, voiceover, or character, please get in touch using the contact information on my website, which is located at samgabrielvo.com. 
and there you can find other stories that I've read, as well as links to my Patreon page, to which I hope you consider subscribing to support me, and my Discord server, where I record things live for your enjoyment. And finally, as always, thank you for listening.